Welcome to Innovative Interactions, a show by Resemble AI where we talk with makers, tinkers, and creative people to find out about the tools, tricks, insights, and techniques they use to bring their best ideas to life. Today's guest is Sandy Kolke. He is the Chief Client Officer of Hawkeye. They are a one-of-a-kind human experience agency. They create experiences for people across their customer journey, leveraging human insight, the world's best data, empathetic creativity, and the most powerful technology available. Sandy has worked with clients such as Boeing, Procter & Gamble, Kellogg's, McDonald's, Google, Discover, Walgreens, San Diego Zoo, and his beloved Chicago Cubs. All right. So, Sandy, so you've had a a long, successful career in creative marketing. And so I wanted to ask you, how have, if they have, the fundamentals of creative marketing progressed in the last couple of decades? Yeah, it's funny you say last couple of decades. You make me sound old when you say long (laughs) But okay, um, you know, and, I, and I've gotten to see uh, as a result of that experience, a lot of changes in the industry. Uh, now, I, I, I did, you know, join the advertising industry after radio. So it isn't that long ago. Um, but, you know, all, all kidding aside, there's been some fundamental changes. But I think what's interesting is what hasn't changed. And this has been an industry and when I speak about an industry, I really talk about marketing and marketing communications that clients want the same things. They need growth. They need sales. They need success, whatever KPIs they happen to be measuring. And I think that's important to keep in mind because at the end of the day, that's what we're doing this in service for. Um, and, in, and in service of those types of KPIs, things like insights, ideas, and execution haven't changed. Uh, what has changed is how they are expressed. You know, now we're in an age of emerging technologies and things changing very rapidly. Um, you know, we've got things, uh, you know, channels and, and platforms, and it's very significant, but it just means that we're executing and developing those insights, ideas, uh, and executions across the technologies and the delivery systems that allow us to reach and interact with consumers. All of it's gotten a lot more. Um, I, I think focused, I won't even call it fragmented, but I'll call it focused. And within that focus, there's a lot of opportunity. So, you know, I almost feel like we should have a, uh, not a swear jar, but a marketing ease jar for every time you hear personalization or you hear, you know, personalization at scale. Um, but we are all trying to approach reaching consumers in a much more relevant um, in, in a much more frictionless way. And those are kind of themes that I think are going to continue to emerge during our discussion. So the, the things that are most important haven't changed, how we actually execute and deliver you know, against those things really has. And I think that's where I get really excited and that's where the opportunity is. So with, with technology and emerging technologies taking over and always, always exp- expanding, how do you think about and go about creating user experiences that people want to engage with? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, I, um, I think the end of that's really important, which is the want to engage with. Um, I still, and I'm not cynical, but I still think there's a lot of the industry where we wind up kind of creating those experiences for the experience sake and not for the consumer. So as I think about this, there, there's kind of a two word phrase um, that I think is really important when we think about your question, which is 
uh, frictionless relevance. So consumers want to engage with stuff that they care about. They also, I think, and, and I speak for myself, I'm inherently lazy. So I need it to be easy. And I think that we've been trained through all the progress that we've seen in technologies that things take a long time to load. Like I, I can't even be bothered to input the numbers on my credit card. If I can't scan the credit card, you know, when I'm making a purchase, I wind up getting frustrated. So this notion of frictionless relevance is important in terms of setting up those experiences. And in doing so, when we think about the user experience and the way that we set those up, uh, it's really important to think about what is the, and, and, and at the agency I'm with Hawkeye, we call it the best next experience. So if we think about the consumer journey as no longer a series of rational uh, or logical steps, but a series of steps that we need to better understand that go through the purchase process, then we can start to plan against those things and make each step of the process much more relevant and much easier for our consumers that go along that path. And therefore, if we can shrink the amount of time and shrink the amount of effort that it takes, that means better results for our clients. So when you're, when you're thinking about some of these experiences, uh, then what kind of processes do you and uh, teams that you coordinate with uh, go about to craft an experience that you wanna bring to the market? So, you know, again, I think, and, and if you talk to others like me, you'll hear a lot of, I think the same thing's coming back. So I'm about to put a dollar in the marketing ease jar, but, you know, we live in an age now where, you know, you know we've heard for a long time data called the new oil. Um, we've got access to data. And despite, you know, the, the need for transparency, um, the need for consumer privacy and, and anonymity, you know, where it's, you know, where they opt, so that consumers can opt into that. Um, we still have more data um, and better data potentially and better ways to use it than we've ever had. So we set up a, you know, an overall approach that again, with the consumer centricity starts with what we know about who we're actually trying to talk to. Um, and again, I'm gonna, I'll do a, a quick plug for, you know, Publicis, Hawkeye and, and Epsilon, but we have a treasure trove of data assets that covers about 200 million people, 200 million adults in the US and beyond. Um, but I'll, I'll keep it kind of US centric at the moment. How we, so we have data at scale, how we mine it is really important. And that means the transactional data that we've got, um, the behavioral data that we have, um, the surveys that we're able to execute at scale, the digital and browsing behavior that we have, and how that all helps along with the traditional demographic behavior, and how that all comes together to help us to create a sharp profile for those that we're trying to reach. Um, once we have those, we move into then, and you know, sequentially into the next phase of actually really mining for those profiles, what mindsets they may have as they're in those environments. And then we develop the strategy and messaging against them. We execute it creatively, and then we are able to measure and optimize what the impacts are of that consumer interaction we have through those communications. So it all starts with an understanding of the consumer through data, setting up of, of the customer journey, uh, understanding what that journey is, understanding how to speak to them in those moments when we know that they're most open with that relevant message, looking at how they're responding to that and deciding whether or not 
they're really going to respond and behave in that way, whether we need to change the communication or whether we continue to move down the funnel and give them information that's relevant and easy for them to handle, measure the impact against that, and then optimize and continue to go back around in kind of that virtuous circle. So they're all elements of this. I think the differentiators are how good the data is, how well it is analyzed, and the ability to learn and then optimize against those things. And I think that's what really makes the difference for, you know, whether or not we're going to be able to convert a sale or generate a lead or whatever the KPI happens to be, brand equity, et cetera. And are there any recent examples of this work that you've been a part of that you think you can share publicly? Uh, yeah, let me see how I do this without giving away uh, any client um, confidentiality. Um, we have a uh, financial institution uh, that we uh, have worked with, and they wanted to launch an entirely new brand. They were part of a, they are part of a very large bank, but they wanted to introduce uh, an online only brand and be able to attract uh, high net worth um, consumers who with, at this point, no brick and mortar would just bank online with them uh, with a new brand and do it in a way that would be compelling enough for, to get people to part with kind of significant sums of money um, and, uh, and, and ultimately be able to build to you know, a certain amount of uh, deposits, but be able to do it without the traditional outreach, without a bunch of uh, human bank tellers, et cetera and therefore be able to offer a more attractive rate because they're taking out kind of the cost of, of goods, if you will, the cost of doing business. So we had to start at the very beginning thinking about what does this high net worth, this affluent consumer look like? Where are they? What do they search for online? How are we gonna best reach them maybe online and offline? What's, the, what's our proposition going to be? And then how are we gonna measure and optimize as we look to attract them? And there was some test and learn involved in this because it, it hadn't been done before. Um, the net result of this was a combination, interestingly, even though it's an online offering of online and offline uh, communications, reaching these consumers both in their homes and online, but actually understanding what their interests were and targeting them based on where they spend their time. It happened to be in arts. It happened to be in sports like golf. And through a very focused understanding of who they were and their profiling, we reached them via zip codes, via their interests, online and offline. We even uh, helped them to create uh, six brick and mortar uh, operations within the major cities where they thought they would uh, get the most traffic. So interestingly, it was the online that drove the advent of the offline brick and mortar offering and not the traditional approach that we've seen where we've had brick and mortar retailers go online. The results on this were astounding. In fact, they reached the amounts uh, on deposit that they were targeting within six months of their annualized plan and basically shut off their marketing because they had what they needed. So, you know, sometimes an earmark of success can actually not really help the agency here, but it certainly helped our client and instilled a huge sense of confidence. And we wound up going and expanding for them in year two. 
And it was all through understanding their consumer journey, what their interests were, where they were spending their time. And we knew, for example, that we needed to develop some brick and mortar locations so that they would feel comfortable if they had a question about a significant deposit that they had made so that they could get some counsel. But they were able to, the client was able to scale it so that there was no waste in the process. So we learned as we went, we adjusted, um, and we wound up optimizing the overall offering. It was a pretty exciting, pretty exciting time. And then you guys just had the sparkling ice campaign as well, right? So pretty innovative idea that where you take the product from, from the store, you buy it, you go home, and then there's further interaction. Can you, can you share sure. how you guys came up with that process? Yes. And, and I'll say this. Uh, I have to credit the clients in this as well as what we're doing from an agency standpoint. Um, I think those clients that have done well, and we can talk, hopefully we'll pivot and talk about the impact of COVID in a second here. Yeah. But outside of that, there are many clients who have a test and learn mentality. I think it's more important than ever in an environment where things are changing so rapidly. And quite frankly, parts of the country are opening up and shutting down um, at different rates. And speed and adaptability are kind of two watchwords, which I think have never been more important than they are now. It used to be, you know, the big would eat, you know, the big would eat the small. Now it's the fast eating the slow. And, you know, there's many, many, um, I think, examples of disruption that we've seen that help to prove that out. But in the case of Sparkling Ice, we have a challenger brand, a very progressive client that wants to test and learn, and an opportunity for us to drive um, them forward using emerging technology. So one of the things we've been very involved in, and our agency is a, a, a key partner of Google as it relates to their Google Home product and the voice skills that go along with it to develop uh, voice, uh, you know, another part of AI that is underdeveloped and developing rapidly that gives us an opportunity to reach consumers in a brand new way and even drive not just education online or through, through voice, but also purchase. So again, as we know, it's in its incipiency, it continues to grow. Um, the penetration of both Alexa and Google Home continue to grow, but for Sparkling Ice, it was an opportunity for them to drive alternative uses of the product through using voice skills. So in this example, they developed um, a skill called Sparkling Ice Maker. And we know that millennials um, use this uh, sparkling ice, not just as a beverage on its own, it's a sparkling, uh, it's a carbonated sparkling, uh, no calorie beverage, but it's also used as a mixer uh, and a very popular one. I just have to look at no further than my stepson to, to kind of confirm that. But if you go to uh, Google Home and you request, uh, you know, tell me about the sparkling uh, ice maker, you are asked, uh, you're then prompted with a list of uh, potential cocktails, uh, the type of cocktail you like, it will give you back a recipe, and then you're able to use the product in a brand new way. And we have found that it has actually extended product usage. It's obviously gotten some great lift in terms of PR and word of mouth. And it's been, again, just by sticking a toe in the water of emerging technology has given us yet uh, you know, another path to drive, to, to drive sales. That's, yeah, it's a really cool way to continue the, like you said, the product usage. And so in this period of time, and hopefully some people will end up listening to this at, when it's a memory, but for now, uh, what, what have you noticed about uh, how brands and consumers are connecting during uh, the pandemic? Well, you know, I, I think that 
and we all know, uh, you know, kind of how difficult the last nine months have been, but through resilience, and I think I speak for kind of anybody who's working from home and has survived this far and found their way through, um, is continuing to find their way, that we are very adaptable and resilient as people. I was traveling 80% of the time, no embellishment there pre-COVID. I have not gotten near an airport in the last nine months, and yet found it surprisingly easy to adapt. It forced us to pick up new technologies. Uh, and I think it's gonna show us new ways of working coming out of it. I think a lot of us are ready to not be at our dining room tables. As you may have guessed, <laughs> this is not my real background. Oh no. Um, yeah. <laughs> I am at my dining room table where I've been sitting for nine months uh, as a lot of us have. But I think a lot of people are anxious to get back into the office in some way, shape or form, but it won't be full time. Um, we wanna travel again. It won't be to the extent that we were doing it before we have found through this some you know, very effective means of communicating while keeping costs down um, and not having to get on a, you know, a four hour flight for a one hour meeting. Uh, I think it's made us re-examine all of those behaviors. But as it relates to marketing and marketing communications, those businesses that have leaned in and said, look, I can, I'm gonna complain for two minutes and then for the next 58 of the hour, I'm gonna concentrate on what we can do for our consumers to make things easier for them. Those are the companies that have, I think are succeeding and will continue to succeed. So flexibility, you know, adaptability and speed are watchwords for marketing communications from now in the foreseeable future. We're optimistic having seen what's happening now with the distribution of a vaccine. Let's assume it's the middle of next year or maybe into the fall. Uh, even then, then the race is gonna be on for that slingshot effect of, okay, if we've been able to mine a competitive advantage, how do we keep it? If we've been behind, how do we catch up? So the competition is going to be just as fierce. It'll just be different. And as a quick example, one of our clients uh, is Jared, the Galleria of Jewelry. And during uh, the initial period of COVID, all of retail obviously was shutting down. Retail was really just getting, continues to be hammered. Um, but then th it, was, it was really hard to see what would come next and how people and businesses would adapt. Um, we came up and brought Jared an idea. And again, they have a very progressive uh, marketing person who, who runs that part of their business. And uh, we brought an idea about virtual weddings. We had noticed a trend in our data that 845,000 couples had either canceled or postponed their weddings due to COVID. Jared, through him, jumped on this idea, created a virtual wedding experience. And that meant a, a platform online where couples could go on, sign up and do everything from their invitations to setting up of a Zoom wedding with officiants, um, you know, with a virtual guest book, et cetera, and do it right there on a single platform. That was developed in about five to seven weeks. In four and a half days, literally four and a half days, we developed uh, an online video TV communication that would then help drive people to the site for the signups. Um, we were targeting, targeting about uh, 1,500. We got 2,000 signups within two weeks. The weddings are continuing to be executed. Um, and it's been just an example of a brand that I think was mired in a little bit of sameness along with many, many other uh, jewelry brands. And they have found a way to break free of that by really serving their consumers in a relevant way in a time of need. 
and they become, you know, the, the jeweler to go to when love can't wait. So, uh, you know, another example of a brand that's been able to pivot and pivot in a very strong, bold, decisive and effective way during COVID. And I think you see it all over the place. I mean, I, the latest, um, you may have seen this, the latest news that I saw from, you know, Burger King is that they are giving their uh, Instagram posts over to other restaurants, local restaurants that are in need. All they have to do is reach out to them. So, you know, from the folks that brought you kind of Whopper Detour and highly competitive uh, and successful and smart event for them are also able to pivot the other way and embrace their brethren at a time of great need. So I think the way brands behave in this period will dictate the equities that they have moving forward and also inform opportunities as the environment continues to change. So as bad as it's been, I'm optimistic and, and the brands that really lean forward uh, I, I, and, and take bold and sometimes risky moves, I think are the ones that are gonna ultimately be rewarded. Is there a brand that you can point to that maybe didn't start out this year as large as they've become through COVID because of work that they've put in? Um, you know, I'm gonna uh, quickly go to one that just kind of pops into my head and it's a current client of ours that is a, uh, a uh, packaged goods brand. Uh, another, we, we happen to major in challenger brands um, <laughs> and is in the uh, herbal supplement probiotic vitamin space. Um, and as COVID first hit, the first reaction was we need to shut down our marketing. We need to take a pause. We've got limited funds um, and we're gonna need to figure out what comes next. As they started to explore and look at their portfolio, uh, they've got some brands that feed into the, and, and help to serve the immunity space. So, I mean, I'll go ahead and tell you the brand. It's, it's Nature's Way is the brand of herbal supplements, vitamins, probiotics, and they fight against other brands that have nature in their first name. They fight against some very major brands owned by Big Pharma, um, but they are high quality. They source all of their own ingredients and manufacturing. Um, and because of this, and because of the control they have, they were able to lean into their production around their Sambucas, which is an elderberry based product, which uh, serves uh, immune health. So they took that along with their zinc and vitamin C brands and created uh, an immune an immunity platform and have started to go direct to consumer. So they've shifted their entire model of just kind of selling through traditional brick and mortar retail, fast tracked their direct to consumer, took another look at what they're doing from an e-commerce perspective and have been able to ramp up their sales and are have been able to shift their emphasis on production to serve the consumers where they need it most. So they re-edited their work. Um, they, they flipped their emphasis on the brands that they're promoting um, and they've been very successful in doing so. So much so where now they're, they're trying to drive production to keep up with the demand that they have on their Sambucas product. So um, that's, uh, that's just one example that jumped into my head of a, a slow start, but a very, very fast recovery. That's really cool to hear. And so as an agency, um, and obviously when, when you have a client, there has to be performance right away. So when, when new technologies emerge or experiences that you want to test out um, arise, how do you go about validating them before putting them out there um, and putting your stamp on them? 
Well, you know, this is a tricky one for me because different clients, again, move at different rates. Some are willing, I had a Boeing client years ago who referred to Boeing as a, as a quote, bleeding technology company, which meant they, they wanted to be first. They were the first to create a large scale airplane like the 747, they bet the company on it. They were first to develop uh, an all carbon um, high fuel efficiency aircraft in the 7 And they weren't afraid to take big, big chances. Um, I think we're in an environment where there are many clients that take a much more cautious approach. They want to be on the leading edge. They won't be on the bleeding edge. Um, and therefore, when we look at new technologies, what we'll try to do is de-risk it for them and beta test it. And so we'll look at things like, for example, voice. We started testing voice internally. And in fact, you know, I, as I think back when we first started partnering with Google, um, and we've become one of their lead partners in voice. And we actually developed our annual Christmas card uh, to be reliant on, on voice skills. So we sent Google Homes to our clients, we put in a voice skill and we actually started testing it that way and we were able to measure the results. Um, it was in the form of a trivia contest, but there are small ways to test some of these emerging technologies and then make sure that they're viable as we start to scale it up. Now, we would never do something like that and then go full national, but what we would do is start to test it in a small way, continue to ramp up, go into a couple of markets, um, and then ramp from there. So when we think about things like AR, VR, um, voices we've already talked a little bit about, we will go ahead and test them in a small way and look to de-risk it for our clients so that as we test and learn, we can continue to improve the product as we push it forward. And that's really incumbent upon um, our internal technical team that we have. And we were very, very close um, with our leads on uh, emerging and digital technologies and enterprise technology. Um, I won't, you know, I won't mince words here. We occasionally stub our toe. Um, and when we do, we own that and we mobilize and move forward. And we have clients that know that that's going to happen and they're willing to assume some of that risk with us. But it should never stop us from doing that because these technologies are going to continue to move faster. And I think as 5G gets expanded and rolls out, it's really going to revolutionize uh, the types of marketing communications that, that we're seeing and really, really accelerate them. So it's super exciting for someone like me who's been around for a while to see how quickly things are moving and changing and the opportunities that we have. But um, we really, really lean into, and I will tell you this for the clients that may be listening, those clients that are willing uh, to put a little bit of skin in the game and try some new things, you'll get the best talent and um, you'll get the most passion on your business because we love to do things and try to measure the impact, measure the impact of it and optimize against it and drive new ideas. Uh, and you'll get people clamoring to be working on those businesses. So I think sometimes it can be a small risk for a very, very big reward. That's really awesome. And so um, as you've mentioned, um, some of your processes on when you see a new technology, what you're going to do with it, how you how you combine it with creative, um, and dating back and go, um, looking forward into the future. Do you see yourself following the same processes with while you're observing new technologies, and where do you see the practice going in the next decade? You know, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, I I will say this: I think that the processes we have right now are a starting point and not and not an ending point. And uh, we, we know one thing for sure, and just in terms of looking at what's happened over the last nine months, um, 
things can change quickly and we need to adapt and be flexible as they change. As I said, I think, uh, I think 5G is gonna be a game changer. Um, I think it's gonna revolutionize even further the technologies that we've already seen that are starting to have an impact on how we market. We will absolutely at, at our agency, Hawkeye, be flexible in terms of how we approach the processes. Um, we need more speed. We need more flexibility. We need more adaptability. And we're, we are uh, an agency that takes progress over perfection. I probably have to put a dollar in the marketing ease jar, but, um, but it really is true. We try to live that. Um, and so we are rewarded for moving quickly, for bringing new ideas forward. And quite frankly, at the end of the day, if our clients aren't getting us pushing them with new ideas and making them a little bit nervous, um, but introducing them to new ways of, of communicating and marketing, then you know, they don't need us for anything more than fulfilling orders. And, and there's no agency on the planet that wants to be there just taking orders. We want to be partners. Um, we want to be strategists. And we want to be helping to move their, their business with them and have them leaning on us. And the only way to do that is to be really flexible in how we approach, you know, embracing these new technologies. So, you know, I think it's a little bit like, um, you know, getting on any new social platform, you know, we can sign up for TikTok, but unless we've actually done a video and know actually how it works and looking what the best practices are and leaning in on it, we really don't know what the impact can be. And we know that the impact has been very, very significant for, you know, a platform that's probably within the last two years becomes super, super important in the marketing mix. Um, you know, if you want to take an, an analog, uh, you know, metaphor, you don't teach someone to swim just by saying, well, you stick your arm up like this and then you kick like that. And then you put your face in the water and blow bubbles and turn it to the side. It doesn't mean anything unless you actually jump in the water and try it. So you may flail around a little bit. You may actually swallow some water, you know, but ultimately if you practice it, you're going to learn to swim. So I think the same is true here. We need to embrace all of these new opportunities and technologies. And quite frankly, that is where the joy and the fun in this business is. We're at a really, really exciting inflection point. And um, I think it's only gonna get more exciting. So um, I think looking at how the, the human populace has adapted to the COVID environment, um, I think it shows the resilience of people um, I feel nothing but optimistic about what the next years are going to bring and how we're going to embrace these changes in technology. And, uh, you know, I think we're all excited about the potential that's out there. Sandy, thank you. And we'll drop a link to the agency and give them a way to contact you. And, you know, for everybody out there that's ready to, ready to grow big in 2021 and beyond. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Matt. I appreciated the conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Innovative Interactions Podcast. For more tips from creatives and innovators, or if you'd like to reach out to us, visit resemble.ai. And if you have a guest you'd like to hear from, reach out to us at podcast at resemble.ai. We'd like to thank Tony and Paul for the music on the show. Catch you next time.